The Heinemann Podcast presents a new six-week series. Of all the tools available to the classroom teacher to mitigate anxiety and relieve depression in students, writing is a powerful one. Over 200 research studies since the late 80s have reported that expressive writing especially can improve people's physical and emotional health. So how does writing do this? And what can I do as a classroom teacher to position my students to take this verbal medicine, as author Barry Lane calls it? Join me, Liz Prather, on the Heinemann Podcast each week starting April 4th as we learn about the healing power of writing. Welcome back to the Heinemann Podcast. Are you looking for new ways to give your students the confidence they need to be the writers you know they are? Today we're joined by Matt Halpern, author of A Teacher's Guide to Interactive Writing, the latest addition to Heinemann's Classroom Essential series. Joining him in conversation is series editor and author Katie Woodray. Matt and Katie talk about modeling learning through instruction, tips for integrating interactive writing strategies throughout the day, and honoring students' processes. As always, a transcript of this episode is available at blog.heinemann.com. So Matt, it is so nice to, to talk to you today and to just celebrate this book with you. It is beautiful. It is dynamic. It is fun. It's everything you are between two covers and super, <laughs> super, super smart. And I have to tell you, too, that, you know, six or seven years ago when we were conceptualizing the Classroom Essentials series and, and what we what our hopes and aspirations for it were, this book captures it about as well as as anything I could imagine. The idea of taking a very foundational child-centered practice and just opening it up for teachers to really dig into and understand you pulled that off like nobody's business. I mean, it is amazing. And I am so excited to see it out in the world. So congratulations first. Thank you. Well, and I have to thank you because this book wouldn't exist without you. But also, I mean, I know we're not here to like be thanking all the people, but <laughs> I do have to say, I mean, when you left the project and I was, I was devastated, you know, because you're, you're the one who, who got me started with all of this. And I have to say, Zoe, who, you know, Zoe Ryder White, who, who took over as the editor has just, I mean, we've become friends. She's just the most amazing, wonderful person. And what, what I have learned through this process, which is actually something that has to do with the process as well, is just to kind of go with the flow. And when things happen that you don't expect, sometimes there are good things, right? You know, sometimes things happen that you don't expect and it's, it's not a bad thing. You leaving at, in the moment, I was devastated. And in hindsight, I got to work with you and I got to work with her. Um, the same thing happened with the design process of the book. I know like you're not supposed to always talk about all the people, but my name is on the cover of the book, but I truly believe this book is a group effort. You know, it, it wouldn't be the book that it is without all those people. So right. 
kudos to them right. and to you. Well, thank you. But I, I, I agree with that. And I, you know, having spent a fabulous morning in your classroom a few years ago and watching you do this work and watching you uh, interact with children, I just feel like that the team who made this book did an amazing job of capturing your spirit and your energy for teaching. And I just, I think it's a gift to the profession. And, you know, you say, uh, I think in the book, but definitely in one of the videos, which the videos are spectacular too, so helpful that, you know, you feel so often in this work, like a cheerleader and, uh, (laughs) which, uh, as a former cheerleader, I would love to have you on my team cheering with me because it, you, you really do that for teachers. And I, I, I just feel like I've watched you do it with children and now you've achieved the same thing with, with teachers. You're going to cheer them along into what is fairly complex work. And that's I guess maybe that's where I'd like to start, start our conversation about the, the actual content. You think about interactive writing as this sort of just this thing you do with the easel with kids, but what you really do in this book and, and in the video as well, is you help teachers understand this is an incredibly um, complex teaching app. It is really the heart of responsive teaching because the main thing is like, as you express so well, you never know what kids are going to do <laughs> and you have to always be ready in the moment to respond to that and um, turn their moves into teaching, turn their comments, turn their thinking into teaching, figure out how to, how to take it from there. And it just, it makes me think about the learning curve for teachers in doing this work. And that's something I wanted to ask you about is like, what do you know about the learning curve for getting better at, at really responsive teaching? Like you describe in this book. I mean, I hate to say, I I feel like what I'm going to say is going to sound very cliche, but you know, sometimes cliches are, are accurate. They're they're cliches Um, for a reason. (laughs) Exactly. And so I think it's cliche to say this, but it's, it's like the more you do something, the better you get at it. Mm -hmm. And what I have found, you know, interactive writing is something that I have talked to teachers about for many, many years. I, you know, I go to conferences and I present and I consult in schools and I'm still doing that work now. And for the reasons that you just stated, people are um, hesitant to do it often because it is unpredictable. And that is scary, right? When you don't know what's going to happen and you feel like you you don't have control, people don't like that. I mean, generally speaking, people don't like that, right? So what I say is that's exactly the reason why you need to do it and you need to do it often. Mm-hmm. The more you do it, the better you're going to get at it, right? If you if you never get on a bicycle, you're never going to get good at riding a bike. And it's the same thing. And it's just like what the way that I try to explain it to teachers is it's the same message that we give to kids, right? If you want to be a better reader, you have to read. If you want to be a better writer, you have to write. Mm-hmm. Same for math and and everything else that, that we do at school. Well, this is the same type of thing. If you want to use interactive writing and be able to utilize it for all the wonderful things that it can do, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. You have to just kind of jump in. And so my hope is that when people see the book, it makes it a little bit more accessible and it gives folks an entry point. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's why I'm so happy that there are videos because I feel like, you know, you can read about something 
you know, for pages and pages and pages, but to actually see it. And I feel like for this, it's so important to be able to see it. And like you said, the videos are just amazing. The, the way that they've been edited and, um, you know, they had me talk like not with the children, but just talk to the camera. I don't know what that's called. I'm sure there's some like camera term for it. But um, so I get to kind of explain what's mm -hmm, happening mm -hmm. and then you get to see the teaching. And then, right. you know, I just I think it's I just I really hope that it's going to help people use this more because I know how powerful it is for kids. Mm -hmm. So even though it's unpredictable, you don't know what this kid in this moment is going to say. It seems to me that over time, because I know I saw this in conferring for years with writers too, over time, you do start to see patterns. Like I've been in this situation before. This is not the first time this a child has said something. I didn't know he was going to say it, but I have heard this kind of thing. Before, right. And so, and that's what you get better at. And I think one of the things that your book will do to give people a leg up is that you helped name some of that stuff, like what you've learned yeah. from experience. If this happens, then you can do this or this or this. You don't know which one of these things is going to happen, but here's some some options. And I mean, would you say that that's true, that one of the things you learn from doing it over time is you begin to sort of recognize situations and, and develop a repertoire of, um, of responses to that? Exactly. And I feel like I, I try to give a lot of those situations in the book yes, you do. so that mm -hmm. it, so that it gives people, you know, okay, maybe this will happen. Here's something that I could do, or maybe, but, but the reality is, and I'm pretty sure that I say it in some sort of this way in the book, I say something like, even though I'm giving you all these possible scenarios, mm -hmm. something else could probably happen that is not in the book. Um, because that's just the nature of teaching. And that's the nature of children, you know, working with children, you just never know what they're going to say or do. Right. Um, it's, it's what is fun about working with kids, but it also can be a little bit um, intimidating. But yeah, I just, I think that if you're a person who teaches if you're a preschool teacher or you're a kindergarten teacher or a first grade teacher, you know, developmentally how kids learn. And so you, you see like, just like what you said, you start to see the patterns of, okay, well now we're kind of moving on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. or, okay. Well now we've got our letters sounds. Mm -hmm. Now what comes next? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's do some CVC words and you know, and it's not going to be linear for all kids. Right. right? Um, and I and I I hope people will see that when they watch the videos. You know, some kids come up, um, and I was working with kids that were not my students, so I didn't know them, you know, so well. And even with kids that I don't know, you know, pretty quickly you can ascertain what a kid needs, right? Um, and and when you're working with your own students that you know really well, it's it's obviously going to be easier. Um, for you. So right. I, you know, that's my hope. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I mean, what you make me think about is that it's a, it's a combination of knowing the, the progression of things that kids need to learn and internalizing next steps and, and recognizing stages along the way that you see that, that kids responses indicate, okay, they're ready for this. They're ready for that. So it's kind of bringing the content and the assessment together but in the moment, right? You got to do it yeah. right now. And I think that's the challenging part. You talk the role of noticing and naming in the work where like with Naomi, where you named her, her move that you weren't expecting to see the slide and, you know, yeah. just, uh, 
just really paying close attention to what what kids know and are figuring out and honoring that by naming it seems really critical to me too. And I think, you know, this is kind of going back to what you we were talking about before. The more that you do this, the more you begin to become comfortable with the unexpected, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes the unexpected is, oh, wow, I really thought this student was going to be able to do something and they're not quite there yet. Right. But sometimes it's the opposite. You know, sometimes it's, oh, my goodness, I really thought from what I've seen when I work with this child in small groups or in conferences, you know, she's she's not really leaving spaces between her words. And then she comes up and she's, she's got some new way to leave a space that I didn't even realize that, you know, I don't know where it came from. Right. Um, and I don't care where it came from. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to go with it. Right. You know, right. Um, right. It's, you know, I love this work so much right now. I'm working with a school in New York city that is, um, they have classrooms that are dual language classrooms. And so I do some work with them virtually, but I also go to the school in person. And the last time I was there, I, they were, it was their Spanish week. So like, there's no English in the classroom. Everyone has to speak Spanish the entire time, um, which is easy for the kids because they're, that's all their first language. I don't speak Spanish, <laughs> but you know, like I know a couple of words, um, but the teacher was complete is completely bilingual and we did interactive writing in Spanish and it just was the most awesome, fun, beautiful thing to see. You know, he did most of the heavy lifting and I was just kind of coaching him through mm-hmm. it because I don't speak Spanish, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I learned some Spanish. Right. Um, and, you know, the principles are the same. It doesn't right. matter, you know, the language. Right. And it was just great to see how excited kids were to see their thoughts mm-hmm. come to life on the paper. Mm-hmm you know, mm-hmm. and that they are a part of it. Mm-hmm. It's great for it to get yourself in a situation where you're learning too, isn't it? Something so yeah. Totally. Yeah. Because I was, you know, I, I was feeling very um, unprepared. You know, <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Great. <laughs> and the teacher was like, we're going to, we can do it. Let's do it together. And I, I, I said, okay, you're right. You know, yeah. and again, you're modeling for kids being a learner right. and being uncomfortable. Right. And that's, a lot what you know that's what writing is especially when you're learning how to write it's really hard i want to talk a little bit too about volume <laughs> volume is a, <laughs> volume is a big theme across this work that you've done and the sheer amount of what you're suggesting that if you think of interactive writing and instead of as like something that you do in literacy block versus thinking of it as a tool that you could use all day long to create content, to create community, to record, you know, things that are happening. It just, the, the, the notion of volume seems really important to me, partly because you keep talking about it in there, but also when I think about all the benefits that could come from so much volume over time. And I just, I just wondered if you, if you wanted to say anything more about that. <laughs> well, I think there's, there are, different reasons why I think it's important. One is I want kids to see that we have many purposes for writing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's not just because my teacher says it's time to write, which is kind of what it feels like, I think, often for kids. I want kids to see that, you know, people write 
I mean, we write emails, we write texts, we, you know, there's lots of reasons why adults write. We write for pleasure, you know, we write for, for purpose. Um, and so I want kids to see that, that as well, but I also want them to see that all the things that we talk about when we're, when we're doing those phonics lessons, that they are transferable throughout the entire day. Mm -hmm. Because I think what happens, and this is something that I, that I talk about with teachers a lot is kids compartmentalize it's it's phonics time so for 20 minutes we're doing these you know phonics activities and we're doing this we're having this lesson and then it's over well it's not over mm -hmm, right? right i want you you know i want you to take that information and take that learning and use it all day mm -hmm. even when you're not at school mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> um and so i think what interactive writing does is it it it's a tool for that it's a way to say okay we are, I mean, I'm using some of the examples from the book, you know, we're learning about penguins because for whatever reason, right, mm -hmm. or frogs or mm -hmm. whatever it is that we're, we're learning about. Well, one thing that people do when they're learning about something mm -hmm. is they take notes, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is something that I do with kindergartners. Right. I was doing this, right. you know, I'm not expecting kindergartners to take, to read and take notes on their own. That's not why I'm doing it. It's more about exposing them to the concept of People who, when people want to remember things, they write them down. Right. So let's do that. Right. Let's do that together right. as a class. And that's, I love that about the work too, is that kids do indeed from, from the way you describe this, they see so many different purposes for writing and you do a really great job too of helping kids think about purpose and audience. And, and, and audience is a big, huge factor and they, they go together because your process changes based on purpose and audience. We don't do things the same way if, you know, someone outside the room is going to look at it versus it's just for us. And that is so true, even for very experienced writers, that you are always thinking about purpose and audience and those impact process in really important ways. And I, I love that the teaching captures that, you know? You know, one of the things that I is the biggest thing people always ask me about is spelling, right. which is kind of, I think what you're alluding to. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I will tell you, I go, sometimes I go to schools to work and they will tell me straight up before I walk in the door that they have a rule in their school that anything that goes up has to be spelled correctly. And it, it does break my heart a little bit. Um, and I try to explain to them why I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but it's also not my school and I don't make the rules. Um, but I think that, you know, as a, as adults, like you said, sometimes when I'm making a list for the grocery store, I don't really care if I spell mayonnaise correctly. Mm -hmm. right, you know, right. I mean, it's it, the purpose of that is for me to remember to buy mayonnaise. Right. Um, I really don't eat that much mayonnaise, but I was just using that as an example. I do. It's okay. I eat tons of mayonnaise, but only Duke's mayonnaise. Um, and so same thing for kids. Yeah. I mean, not always are you publishing something for a greater audience. And, and what I want people to really think about, and this is the pushback that I try to give when people are really adamant about everything being spelled correctly, is when kids, when we look at kids who are learning to write, so we're looking at our preschool kids, our kindergarten kids, first grade, even into second grade, they're still learning how to spell and write. The last thing I want to do is something that's going to make a child 
be afraid to write. Mm -hmm. Like that is that is the enemy to me. Right. And for many children, if they think everything has to be spelled correctly, they're not going to write. You know, and since I'm retired and I don't care whether anybody hires <laughs> me or not, I'll just go on record as saying <laughs> that's so developmentally inappropriate. I mean, it would be like walking Agreed. into a preschool classroom and saying, you can't talk if you don't pronounce all your words correctly. <laughs> right. I mean, it is the yeah. same thing. <laughs> and it uh, yeah. So that, and it's so sad to me too, because you know what it, it belies the brilliance of children's approximations, because you look at those spellings and they often make perfect sense. They make more sense than the actual conventional spelling because our, totally. our language is so crazy. Um, and it just, it, it just overlooks again, the brilliance that it, it took to figure that out, the figuring part of it which is just to be celebrated. And, um, and I do, you know, there's a, there's quite a bit in here about, about this topic. Yeah. Um, I made sure that there was, and there's that whole section that's based off of Matt Glover's amazing video. Right. Um, and I would encourage people to read that. And, um, if you want to seek out Matt's video, it's on YouTube and you can easily find it because it really does make a difference mm -hmm. when kids, you know, I want kids you know, I, I remember this one time that this little girl was, she wanted to write the word hippopotamus. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't think I know how to spell right. hippopotamus, right? But she wrote it. And right. if you looked at that word, it, she had every sound. Right. And if I told her that she had to spell it correctly or she couldn't write it, mm -hmm. then she probably no. wouldn't have written the word. No, your, your repertoire is going to be pretty limited if you only can write with what you spell, as is all yeah. of ours. But, um, yeah. Um, I also love um, you talk a lot about the importance of rereading. And I, especially as a writer and then working quite a few years as an editor, I wish every teacher understood the importance of emphasizing rereading. It is the, the crux of of composition, both it's where drafting and revision come together. You draft a bit, you reread, you revise, you draft, you, you rewrite. I hardly ever write more than a sentence or two without rereading and often several times. And I just, I love that with even very young children who are having to focus so much on transcription in a way that adults don't have to, you know, it becomes automatic for us over time. You're emphasizing rereading and so much of the heady thinking happens in the rereading because you're never going to be a really accomplished writer if you don't learn the role of rereading your own work. So that's well, and in addition to what you just said, which is obviously all true, when kids are when they're trying to put more words down on the paper, mm -hmm it's it's also just to help them to remember mm -hmm. right <laughs> you know right. what wait what did i want to say uh well let's re let's reread what we wrote right. and then it helps me remember you know we can orally rehearse till the cows come right. home but once i start actually putting my pencil on the paper sometimes i forget so if i go back and reread it right and you know i i remember i saw that you you talk about that in one of your videos and i was thinking about it when you said it i actually wrote it down that i think that's true even for very experienced writers, that part of the reason you reread 
is to remember what where you're going. You go back to go forward. You go back to go forward. And I mean, I've seen many drafts that are seven pages long, and I'm not sure the writer reread, right? You know, because the path from page one to page seven isn't clear. And and that really happens in the rereading and the looking at it as a whole. You can't you can't yeah. just look at it sentence by sentence. You have to figure out how sentence one is is working with sentence 41. And, you know, not everyone <laughs> is lucky enough to have a professional editor, right? Right. Um, when, you know, to catch all those things. Right. And so, you know, and it's beautiful when you do have that, but most people don't. Right. And certainly children don't. And so, you know, what you want them to do is get into the habit of reading the things that they they write. Right. Um, and when we do it and, you know, basically this, this goes for rereading, but really it goes for everything. What I'm doing is I'm showing kids what I want them to do on their own, right? If we do it enough together as a class, they start doing it on their own. Right. And just the whole options part of that too. There's one part in there where you go, I love giving kids options. And it got me just thinking about the fact that choosing from options is the very heart of the writing process. Everything is an option. This word or that word. Yeah. This punctuation or that punctuation. Do I end here or do I do more? I mean, it is a constant process of decision making. And I love that the the interaction of interactive writing is is filled with options for kids. And it seems like you do a lot of thinking about that. Well, this is going to sound like I'm not talking about writing because really I'm not, but it does pertain to writing. But one of the things that I talk about with teachers that that is just an overarching teaching uh, behavior, I don't like to use the phrase classroom management, but if you want to say classroom management is giving kids some voice and agency over their learning. Mm -hmm. And this is just one more way to do that, mm -hmm. right? Instead of it, there only being one way to do something, if I can give kids choice. And sometimes when teachers hear that, they say, well, what, what are you talking about? Like, I can't give kids, you know, all these choices, limited choices, right? Like for, for most kids, for, for the ages that we're talking about, little kids, you know, pre-K, second grade kids, it's an A-B choice, you know? You can do this or you can do that. Which one are you going to do? But what I'm not doing is saying you've got one choice mm -hmm. or you, you don't even have a choice. Here it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it helps kids feel um, important, right? And that's what we want. We want kids to feel important and we want kids to feel like they own their decisions mm -hmm. and they own their learning. And the way that we give them ownership is to give them some agency. Mm -hmm. And the way that we give them agency is to give them some choices. So in writing, as you said, yes, but I'm thinking about how can I give cho kids choices all the all time. All day long, yep, yep. And it can be little things. I mean, when pe so people will ask me, well, what do you mean? I say, for, so for example, for writing, it could be in a it could be a choice of paper mm -hmm. right the number of lines on a paper horizontal versus vertical mm -hmm. paper it could be on what are you going to write with are you going to use a pen or a pencil mm -hmm. it seems like a silly little thing but it gives them just a little bit of uh voice in in their in their life i mean what we know about kids especially little 
children is that they have very little agency over themselves, right? They, they're told when to get up. Often they're told what to wear, what mm -hmm. to eat, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then they come to school and we tell them what to do mm -hmm. and where to go and when mm -hmm. to do it and how to do it. And so if we can find little ways to give them a little bit of ownership, some kids are looking for that, right? They're seeking it. And that's why they, they often will have some problems, mm -hmm. you know, because they're, they're pushing back. And so this within the process, I'm thinking, how can I give students some choice? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking mm -hmm. about that. Just because choice matters, <laughs> right? Just learning exactly. to decide, I making mean, choices. Yeah. I mean, imagine this sounds like a really silly thing to say, but imagine you walked into the coffee shop and they said, hi, Katie, here's your medium black coffee. Actually, that's what I would order, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty straight up on my coffee. But no, I get, but I know what you're saying. You know, what, you know like mm -hmm. you, there's no choice. Right. And that's, that's often what we do at school right. is there is no choice. Right. Everyone, you're told where to right. sit. You're told what to do. You're told what to write, um, how to write it, where to write it. Right. So if we can find places in our day to give kids pieces of choice, little pieces of choice that can hopefully add up, it makes them feel, you know, more empowered. Right. Well, finally, the last thing I want to just ask you about and ask you to comment on a little bit is the idea of making sure that kids have time to write independently. The only way you're going to really see and know where this is taking hold is if there's a robust, you know, time independent writing time. It doesn't necessarily mean a writing workshop. It could just mean they're, you know, they're writing on their own to support their reading. They're writing their own science observations, but they're doing this. It really, you know, you're, it, it's, it's coming to fruition when you see them do it on their own. Correct. Exactly. The transfer is what you want to see. Um, and thing about interactive writing that blows my mind and what I hear from teachers when they start actually using it more and more and more is that kids want to write more. They look for their own opportunities. And there's some examples in the book where given free choice, you know, in, in preschool, kindergarten classrooms where, you know, there are things that are quote unquote, way more fun than writing mm -hmm. like blocks or, or Legos or puzzles or whatever kids choose mm -hmm. to write mm -hmm. because what they what they start to see is they see the power of writing mm -hmm. and then in those moments they can make whatever they want mm -hmm. um and so that's you know that's just like the icing on the cake right. Right? right but yeah we have to make sure that kids have lots and lots of opportunities where we're all kind of writing together but then also you know, that writing is one of many choices because kids will choose to write. Right. Well, I, again, just want to say congratulations. I'm still so happy that I slowed down and looked very carefully at that proposal that was in my <laughs> inbox all those years ago. And I'll leave everyone with a little mystery and tell you, Matt, that you still had me at Lady Gaga, <laughs> but only you and I know what that means. <laughs> So thank you so much. And uh, I, I just really enjoyed getting to talk to you about the book today. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Our thanks to Matt and Katie for their time today. You can learn more about Matt's new book, A Teacher's Guide to Interactive Writing, 
and the entire Classroom Essentials series at Heinemann.com. Learn more and read a transcript of this episode at blog.heinemann.com. Copyright Heinemann Publishing.